Is it uh, poor attendance, poor giving, is it addiction of some kind? Is it lack of vision? Well, I think we've just seen it in the, in the video that we just watched, and I suggest that it's not any of those, but it's something that stands behind all those and is more common than any of those, and that is prayerlessness. Biggest weakness in Christian lives and churches by far. The lack of prayer in our lives is on us almost before we know it. We're out of a routine. We're trusting in ourselves again, not, not talking to God. And then when we aren't praying, we are crippled as individuals. We're crippled as a church, just like that video showed. Easily uh, fooled and worried and, and fear and blurred to the realities of life that are much, much greater. Well, welcome to Community Grace. Today is a transition day, a big day of transition we just finished what I thought was a great sermon series and small group series. Small groups are just finishing up on, on the topic of forgiveness. And praise God for all that he's doing in that area here. Uh, one of our elders, Matt Starrett, prayed that Community Grace would become known as a church of forgiveness. And I really appreciate that prayer and agree with that wholeheartedly. So we're in this transition in the next two weeks. We are doing uh, a few things. Next week begins two things. We begin our Advent series. Can you believe that it's Christmas time? Advent is coming, the coming of the Messiah. So Christmas season starts next week. How exciting um, that is. And then that also begins next week, our, our next big expository sermon series through the book of Matthew. If you have been here long, then you are aware that Sometimes we take a season and address uh, expositorily a topic, an important topic like uh, forgiveness. Uh, but mostly, my preference and conviction is to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we are returning to that starting next week with the book of Matthew. So I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. And honestly, the foundations of our society are crumbling because churches are leaving the Word of God. And I just can't even believe that's true, but it is. Church after church, just leaving faithfulness to the Word of God, study of the Word of God. And so that's not going to be a community grace. We know that God gave us his revelation, and he illumines our eyes to uh, everything we need in life uh, through his Word, our authority in life, sufficient for every part of life. And so we're going to, God has led us to Matthew, and Matthew's emphasis is Jesus as King. Jesus as King. Our Advent series kicks off uh, the Matthew series as well as our Christmas offering, uh, which how many people got the Christmas offering letter in your mailbox this last week? You all, most of you got that? Okay, if you didn't get that, then we don't have your address. Would you kindly share that with us uh, and just make a note on your communication card that you did not receive the letter? Maybe give us your address or your email address so we can email it to you. Uh, that's a significant uh, part of our church rhythm for the year. And here's a little bit from the Christmas letter uh, where I describe Matthew a little bit. It says, Matthew's unique focus in his gospel account is that Jesus is the promised Messiah and King. He is. And Matthew makes clear that Jesus is not merely a man descended from Adam, but the King who came from the line of David and the Messiah who is the promised one from Abraham. Jesus is indeed King of Kings the sovereign king over all things, 
and the King whom we worship, follow, and proclaim. And so we look to follow the King of Kings. So consider our church's mission statement. Maybe some of you have had that memorized. It's on the back of your bulletin if you want to read that, but let me just tell it to you. Our mission statement as a church is that we exist. Now, there's some purpose. We exist to glorify God by being Christ followers who make Christ followers. And there is the mission of the Christian life and of our church. And so our message today is King Jesus prays. We follow Christ in all things, all things. He came to show us who God is as he walked among us as one of us. So we follow him in all things, and his prayer life is amazing. And it's the one we follow. We follow him in all things. So King Jesus prays. The Bible teaches so much about prayer from cover to cover. It screams, pray. You have a relationship with the Father, God Almighty. It's the most powerful thing we can do. It's an intimate thing we can do. It's a joyful thing. He says so much, and sure enough, God, as Jesus, the man, puts it into action, and we can see um, a model and teaching about prayer for us. So we see, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus just on Jesus and just in the book of Matthew. That's what we're going to look at today. So get your Bibles ready. And uh, go ahead and take out your bulletins, and if you don't have a bulletin and you want a bulletin with the sermon notes to follow along, just raise your hand, and Chris will give you one this morning. We're going to look at a variety of texts, so the bulletin helps you follow along, or the sermon notes, rather. And as I've studied these last couple weeks, the book of Matthew and how Jesus prayed, I see everything it says in two categories. The first is how Jesus prayed and then how he instructs us to pray. So that's, those two categories are going to guide our study of, of God's word this morning. Let's look at how Jesus, how King Jesus prayed. Yes, the second person of the eternal Godhead who existed in all eternity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second person became a human on Christmas, Merry Christmas, and they called him Jesus. And we follow Jesus. We follow him in all things. And the key verse for the entire Matthew series will be Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, as plain as could be, that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if you identify with me, if you call yourself a Christian, if, if, if you want what I have to offer, if you would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so we follow the king. We follow his example, we follow his model, we follow his message and his instructions and his methods and his lifestyle. We follow it all. And that includes prayer. And guess what we see when we look at Jesus' life and study? How did Jesus pray? We see three things here I want to draw your attention to from the book of Matthew. First, we see that Jesus was continually praying. He prayed throughout the day, every day, with people, alone, early in the morning. He spent the entire night in prayer. Jesus prays a lot. Now, if he needed to pray a lot, he was one with the Father, how much more do we need to pray? Let's look in the book, in Matthew 14. Jesus performs 
the amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 with just the boy's lunch. It's a fascinating miracle, and it kind of captivates our imagination. But it's fascinating how this miracle tips us off to Jesus' prayer life on a daily basis. Let's look at the clue that God gives us in Matthew 14, starting in verse 16. But Jesus said, they need not go away. The disciples were concerned, you know, it's going to get dark and all these people are hungry. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. He's about to perform a miracle. He's going about his, his daily business, his, his ministry on earth. Look what he does, verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, what did he do first? He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. The, the passage continues to say, then he went on and, and did what he did. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. Twelve baskets left over. It's an amazing miracle, but don't miss over that, that piece. As he went about doing his things that he was doing, he just stopped and prayed. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. You know, 1 Thessalonians, God gives us this command. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, this is a command for us. Jesus modeled it, and God commands it. Pray continually, or your verse might say, pray without ceasing, constantly, all the time, and give thanks in all circumstances. Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving. I love that we have one focused day to be thankful because, I, you know, use it as a, a reminder and a discipleship tool that we always should be praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances. Look at what happened. Well, the verse says next, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if, now, if we, we might say in response to this verse, you might think logically, if, if we pray continually without ceasing and never do anything else, we would never get anything else done, right? So how is that possible? Have you ever wondered that? And of course, what Jesus showed us is, is, is how we should interpret this as well. As he went through the day, before he did things, constantly as he thought things and met people and, and, and did his, the things that he did, he stopped, he looked up to heaven and prayed and, of course, the illustration that I, I use for this pray continually is like someone with a cough. They're coughing all the time, right? It's not constantly, 24 hours a day, every second, but it's on a regular basis. So that's the mindset we need to have, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Look what happens right after Jesus fed the 5,000. Picking up in verse 22 of chapter 14, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, and go before him to the other side, and while he dismissed the crowds. So the day was done. He said, disciples, get out of here, crowds, go on your way. And what did he do? He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And so he's praying regularly throughout his daily business, throughout your work day, your school day, for the people you come across, you're praying. And then there's a time where you just get away from everybody. And this is his model. He got by himself to pray. Jesus was a human, he was tired, he was spent from the day, he needed to be alone to pray, and he made it happen. He got alone, whatever it took, he went up on the mountain, he got rid of people, and when he was alone, he didn't look at Facebook. Notice that? <laughs> he didn't check his messages, 
I'm guilty of that. In my time alone to pray, oh, I checked my messages. He prayed. He prayed into the evening. He prayed. And Jesus is the one we follow. So on your notes, if you have a pen, you see this under each main point, you see the words, when we pray. And here's how to apply how we follow Jesus' model. I'm going to suggest you write down this. When we pray, we pray and thank God all the time. All the time. And have a time and place. Like Jesus did. He went off. He was structured. What do I mean by having a time and place? A rhythm, a discipline. On your calendar, a set time and place. Jesus modeled this. And the apostles modeled it as well. In Acts 3.1, we, we see Peter and John. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. You know, praying is, I mean, it just is. It's the hardest spiritual discipline to actually follow through. Uh, they say, I've heard it prayer called the most talked about and least practiced of all the spiritual disciplines. It's just hard. We, we're busy. Life gets in the way. We're dependent on ourselves. It's hard. So all of God's wisdom, Jesus' model and, and the apostles' model, they had a set time and place. You make it happen on your calendar. Get into a rhythm and a routine, and then it will happen. And then that discipline becomes a delight. They, these apostles had a set time of prayer. The Jewish culture had two or three set times for extended prayer during the day. What, what do Christians have? Do we have set times for extended prayer? Really, not, not culturally. We have very short prayers before meals. I'm talking about extended prayer time to be close to God and, and to provide our most important and powerful ministry of prayer. My set time is, my alarm goes off every day if I don't have to get up earlier, at 6.18 a.m. Why 6.18 a.m.? That sounds like OCD or something. No, it's just because when I'm groggy and I, and I see 618, that means, okay, I don't have any other appointments. Um, that means it's time to get up, make the coffee, get on the couch before anybody else gets up, and read the Bible and pray. And it's become such a part of my life that I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Now, there's an extra. That Mark chapter 1, verse 35 uh, is a fun verse. Uh, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate to place to pray, and, and there he prayed. Um, so Jesus had a time and place as well. He set his alarm nice and early before it was light out. But, but wait a minute, that's from Mark, so I cheated a little bit there. We're focusing on Matthew today. But what is your time and place? I'd love to know. Maybe you would share it with me. Maybe you can write it on your communication card or, or tell me later. What is your time and place of devoted time with God? We're following Jesus' example, and we're obeying him. I'd love to know your time and place. Well, next we turn to Matthew 19, 13 to see the second characteristic of how King Jesus prayed. And that's Jesus reveals God's care for our prayers. Does God like it when we pray? That's a good question because God seems distant. Or maybe you've heard that God is a distant God or that he doesn't care. Let's see what Jesus' life models for us. It's that, oh, yes, he prays. He prays. Yeah, he cares. As a dad, I, I have come to an understanding by virtue of having kids how much I love and want my kids to talk to me. 
God has revealed this is the exact relationship that he has with us, his children. A previous elder of mine said this comment, I'll never forget it. He said, I've come to believe that God will do just about anything to get us to talk to him. Just about anything. He cares. He wants us to talk to him. Let's see what Jesus did. Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14, we read this. We see, then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So here's Jesus, busy as can be, and his disciples were his bodyguards, and they told, the disciples rebuked the people and said, get out of here. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. They came to him to pray, to be prayed for. Do not hinder them, for, su- for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. How special. He cares. He knows his father cares. So when we pray, here's the application to write for there. When we pray, know God cares about every prayer you pray. And that Jesus is praying for me. He sits at the right hand of God right now. And one of his ministries right now is to intercede for us. He prays for us. God cares about your prayers. One author writes this, and I love this. Just just imagine this. He says, if I could hear... Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Imagine that. If I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. The author says, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Our final passage for how King Jesus prayed shows us that Jesus cried out in prayer. But all the people of God, when they get into trouble, cover to cover in Scripture, in the Bible, cry out to God, cry out to God. Well, guess what? Jesus did the same. On the night Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, to take all the sin of the world on himself and drink the full wrath, cup of the wrath of God and, and suffer the excruciating torture of crucifixion. On that night, Jesus prays. Look how he prays. Matthew 26, 36 through 44. Then Jesus with, went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And we see what he prayed, and going a little further, verse 39, and going a little farther, he, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, and he came and found them sleeping again, and their eyes were heavy, so leaving them again, he went and prayed for the third time. Here he is, he's crying out in his moment of despair, and he invites you to do that every time. You need something, or you're in despair, or suffering, or worry, or doubt. That's our application here, is when we pray, cry out early and often. Don't wait till the last resort. Cry out. 
early and often. And these are just three aspects of how Jesus prayed. And they're important for us. Jesus modeled for us the way God wants us to pray. And we have some takeaways here. What a God. What a gift. Don't make this the least practiced spiritual discipline anymore. Love to pray to God in all things. Now we're going to look at the second category, and that is how Jesus tells us how to pray. He actually gives several instructions outright for his disciples, for his followers. Here's how you pray. So let's look at how King Jesus instructs us to pray. And I've pulled out four of the key instructions from the book of Matthew, from Jesus, about exactly how we should pray. Let's look at those and let's do them as well, practice them. First is his pattern for prayer. He gives us a pattern for prayer. This is called the Lord's Prayer. And maybe you're new to this whole God thing, Christian thing, Christianity thing, church thing, Bible thing. Maybe, maybe you're, you're seeking God. You have a soul that longs to know its creator. That's why you're seeking God. God is drawing you in. But like the disciples flat out asked Jesus, we believe God, we love God, teach us how to pray. We all need to learn at some time how to pray. So Jesus knows that, and he gives us the pattern for prayer. This is found in Matthew 6, right within the Sermon on the Mount. It contains what we now call the Lord's Prayer. How many people have memorized the Lord's Prayer maybe long ago? And we say it, and some church traditions say it every time they gather and say it often. But I want to tell you that the problem with saying it often and, and just it kind of becomes rote. That's mindless repetition. That's not what Jesus gave us here. He gave us a pattern for prayer, and it's a magnificent example of prayer. He never meant it to just be repeated over and over mindlessly. How do I know that? For, how am I absolutely confident in that? Because this, this is what he says right before he gives the model. He starts the, the pattern in verse 9. Look what he says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as everybody else does. They think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus is not giving us just this religious statement to repeat mindlessly over and over. He's giving a very help, helpful pattern how to pray. So let's look at this pattern, and we put it into our own words. We put our own flesh onto this prayer on a regular basis. This is brilliant, and I hope that this has become a treasure in your life, and if it hasn't, that it will be starting today. Here's how Jesus taught us to pray. It begins with relating. It's a relationship relating to the Father, our Father God, and worshiping him. It's how our posture and prayer should be, one of relationship and worship. Statement one, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a relational term. It's a relationship. And Jesus revealed the personal nature of God and his relationship with us. But that doesn't mean that we can treat him flippantly. Hallowed is the next word. That is something is set apart as holy, as huge, as enormous, to be respected above all things and the only thing worthy of worship. The name of God. What a God. What a God to be so close and yet so transcendent and other and huge and to be feared and worshiped. 
So we worship God. We worship God and we love God. We call him our dad as well. The next part of the pattern is we're praying for your kingdom come. I want to align my will with, with your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. first part of his pattern concerned God and his glory, his will, his will happening. He's the most important. We're under him. And now the second part focuses on humans' needs. God's glory comes first, and then our needs come second. Let me repeat that. God's glory comes first in our prayers. I watch and I listen how people pray and how I myself jump right to human needs. Don't jump right to human needs. God's glory comes first, and then our human needs wide open to us. Third statement in Jesus' pattern is, give us this day our daily bread. That's representative of all of our basic needs. Food, clothing, shelter, those things that we need in order to free us up to do the works that he's called us to do. Give us this day. And with anything extra that he gives us, give generously with it. That's Jesus' character. Give us our daily needs. And fourth statement, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. Moving past physical needs, we go right to spiritual needs, and at the center of that is forgiveness, our forgiveness, and then the forgiveness we give everybody else. And boy, wouldn't that make a good sermon series? I'm not, I'm not going to say anything more about that. We've said a lot about it. Maybe this is the reminder you need to keep implementing that in your life. Fifth statement is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, of course, Jesus is not implying that God would ever leave, lead anybody into temptation. James 1.3 says, but God tempts no one. So what, what exactly does he mean here by this? It means that, that, listen, we know the world is full of evil. It's just filled with evil outside and inside of us, foolishness, evil, distractions, enemies always out to trick us and harm us, temptations, the flesh. It's so hard to live a godly life. So the picture here is like a child reaching out to grab the hand of his dad or her dad, saying, I, Dad, you can see what I can't see. I'm going to trust you. You know what's wise. Lead me through this, this crowd of foolishness and evil I'll just stick close and trust you. Please take care of me. Please protect me. Help me follow you. And to his answers, to every part of that prayer as we pray them, he answers them, and we say, thank you. We praise God for all of his work in our lives and answer to our prayers. Isn't that an amazing pattern for prayer? can't go wrong with that. And that starts us off on a lifetime of relating to God and worshiping to God and worshiping God and listening to God and asking God for things and trusting him and enjoying him and staying close to him. So here's the application there. When we pray, when we pray, practice prayer with Jesus' pattern. And I pray that that's a blessing to all of us and strengthens our prayer life and our relationship and worship of God. Well, next, Jesus instructs us to pray passionately for others. Passionately for others. Here's what he teaches, Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Let's see what he says 
as Jesus ministers to crowds of people, he pauses and Matthew gives us an insight to Jesus' mind and his prayers and his instruction to us. Just imagine as he sees people that are confused and, and rejecting God and, and mass crowds. He said, it's the text says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What's he going to do about it? What's the answer? What's the, what's the solution? Well, he's going to teach his disciples, here's what you do about it. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So laborers into the field, into the masses, that's the answer. But how do we get that? Therefore, pray earnestly. Are you praying earnestly for the mission of Christ? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray passionately for others. And on top of all this, so far, everything we've talked about, Jesus gives his next instruction, that is to pray in great faith. He says this, the New Testament authors repeat this and explain this, pray in great faith. In Matthew, this lesson comes in Matthew 21, 22, when Jesus is in his last week of life on earth, and he's given this lesson to the 12 disciples at the fig tree. And oh, how he wants us all to know this about prayer to him, to God the Father. He says this statement, followers of mine, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So pray continually and pray in great faith. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. Are you asking? If not, you can't complain about not having. Here's what one writer said to give us a mental picture. He says, imagine this, heaven is filled with a room that will surprise all of us when we see it. The room has within it large boxes neatly packaged with lovely ribbons on top with your name on it and a note never delivered to earth because never requested from earth. Wow. You have not because you ask not. This is the word of God. This is Jesus talking. And right in this context, in Matthew 21, 22, he's, he says if you have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, get up and move into the sea. Praying in faith can, you can move mountains. Now, okay, Jesus uses, you know, like all the Bible authors, use very descriptive language. A lot of um, illustrations and metaphors. So I know some of you are wrestling with this, like they did. They were, Move a mountain? Can you do that literally? Okay, that's, that's a figure of speech. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Um, how do I apply that? And I want to say that you do have to apply that correctly. How do we interpret the Bible? You have to interpret the it's one statement you read in the Bible, making sure you bring in all the rest of the context of all the other 
scriptures and the Bible's teachings. So there's a phenomenon in the world we live in today. It's been going on for a few generations where these verses are twisted and distorted, taken out of context and in opposition to the entire teaching of the word of God. And it turns into what's called a prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement or the name it, claim it type of theology. And you can do this with scripture. And here's where cults and false religions come from. You take some scripture out of its context and you've got all the authority and the power of thus says the Lord behind it because it's in the Bible, right? And, and people are deceived all over the world. That kind of stuff, just that you can name it and claim it if you have enough uh, faith and you can have all the wealth and, and health that you want, that's become so, so popular around the world. And we need to fight that and stand up for truth. And it's inconsistent with the rest of the teaching of the Bible. And what Jesus means is the reality, and it's so much better anyway than stuff and wealth and health. God doesn't define the best things in life or success in terms of wealth, health, and power. That's how humans define success. That's the world's way of defining success. God's success is defined in terms of love, peace, wisdom, grace, hope, and faith. And now those traits can turn into health and wealth and power. They could, but just as easily as they could turn into suffering for his glory. I hope you have eyes to, to see the difference. And either wealth, health, if he grants that, or suffering for God's glory and for our good, either one with God is better than a self-centered pursuit of anything else without God. Have I made that clear enough and powerful enough? Look, he says... You have not because you ask not. Pray. According to the will of the Father, it will be granted. Align your hearts with the will of the Father. But don't distort that and twist that. That's a false gospel. Be careful with that. Well, oh, one writer puts it this way. I like this, this image as well. He says, he asks this question. If I throw out a boat hook from a boat and catch the shore Catch hold of the shore and pull. Do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? And we align our, we align our hearts with God. We don't name and claim and demand God to do what we want. I hope you get that. I hope you're worshiping God with all your heart. Finally, Jesus teaches us not only to pray in private, but to pray corporately. Pray in private, yes. But also pray corporately. Corporately just means praying together with other people, with other people as often as you can. God's word, again, teaches this and models this all throughout scripture, and Jesus comes to confirm it. Jesus actually shouts this in Matthew. First in Matthew 18, he says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them, and in in, in my presence is with them. That's in the context of of asking for wisdom in conflict resolution, but there he is. As we gather together, his presence is with us. But check this out. What I want to focus on now is Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Let me read this. Jesus actually shouts this. This is what my people do. We pray together. Okay, so here's the scenario. 
last week of Jesus' life, Holy Week, on that Monday, he enters the temple and sees robbers and thieves and extortion going on in the temple worship. Let's see what he says. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and in the peak of his righteous anger, he says something that characterizes the church, all of us. He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You make it a den of robbers. Now you can focus on what the, the thievery and, and was going on, but I want to focus on that first part. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He, he, his life modeled prayer with people. All the New Testament instructs us as plain as can be to gather and pray, to gather and pray, to gather and pray. Corporate prayer is the emphasis in the New Testament, almost every time you read about prayer in the New Testament, it's, a, it's talking about praying in groups, about corporate prayer. Why? Why is that? Here's a couple reasons. First of all, everything God does for his church is to bring us together in unity and maturity. Nothing does that more than the foundation of praying together. That's the purpose of us as a body, a group, a family. And so we pray together. And second, our flesh tends towards independence. And America has turned that into a value. And so we have an extra layer of independence in our spirit. Our flesh, our culture is independence. But God's plan is for interdependence. For us to depend on each other, need each other, help each other, serve each other, grow together, reach the world together. And prayer draws us together like nothing else. Prayer and worship as a unified whole, better than anything else. The church began with corporate prayer. The church sent out missionaries with corporate prayer. It does every, has experienced miracles and growth through corporate prayer. It grows the same way today. So here's the application. When we pray, make a commitment to corporate prayer. To conclude today, I want to give some next steps, some more applications. Here's what the church, this church, is, is doing about this. So on your notes, if you're taking those, you see two areas of next steps, which I've called prayer steps today. You see, personal prayer is first. Here's what I want to encourage you with all my might. This is for your good, for God's glory, for the good of everybody in your life, and for the world around us. Establish your routine. What's your time and place going to be? What, what works for you every day? Is it early? Is it late? Is it at noon? Is it on break? Is it with a group of people at work or at school? What is the time and place that Jesus had, the apostles had, and that's what works for us today? What is yours? Don't leave without starting to formulate that and get into that habit. You're going to love it. Set your goal. This is practical advice. Set a goal for 10 minutes of prayer a day. And as that becomes set in your life, increase it monthly, like five minutes at a time, until you get up to one hour a day. That's my personal goal. I don't usually hit it every day. But that's my goal, one hour a day. And, and I love that, that Sean gave the youth group that goal. How awesome is that? And you can do it, and your life will be amazing uh, and when you do. So use a prayer notebook or a prayer app to list out your requests and scriptures and, and answered prayers. Be disciplined 
And that discipline turns into a relationship in great joy in no time. It really does. I have to show you this. I was praying through my prayer app, which is called Prayer Mate. It's free download. I've really enjoyed it for several years now. But look at this one. I hope you can read it. I'm going to read the first couple lines. Because this was just like three or four days ago while I'm preparing this sermon. It says, husband, pray for your wife. Pray, O husband. Nothing in the world can compare with the power of prayer. Bring all the military regimes, artillery, and nuclear arsenals from the entire globe, and the weakest saint praying to God is mightier than them all. Pray for your wife, O husband. Prayer is powerful. It's glorious. Husbands, are you praying for your wives, by the way? You need to. Next, pray for the people in your life who need Jesus. We pray for other people who need Jesus. This is, this is the time of year, Christmas and Easter, we have concert of prayers, and this is the time we're going to fill out these, the invest and invite cards. If you're brand new, let me explain how these work. I'll remind everybody else, they're on your chairs. Would you all please reach over and grab these, everybody? All right, thanks for holding that up back there. Text, I appreciate that. All right, you'll see on most chairs, you'll see a, a big one and a small one. We actually ran out of small ones. Um, we'll, we'll make more, and you can use two of the big ones. It's totally fine. Christmas and Easter, well-known as the time in our society when people are interested in, in Jesus. How are we going to make the most of that? We're going to pray. Here's how. Here's what you write. You write one or two or three or four or ten if you want to squeeze them on there. These are the people God has placed in my life who need to know and follow Christ. I will pray for them daily from now till through the Christmas season and invite them to, tell a, uh, to attend a Christmas service with me. Write their names on both cards. Put one in the offering box and one you keep in your pocket, wallet, purse. Tape it to your steering wheel. I did that one year. And pray for them every day. Would you do that? Wow, this, this, is a, this is a great thing to do together. And it's a celebration when, when people are coming to Christ from our lists. Please do that. Make sure we, we don't pass around the offering bag anymore um, for the time being, but you can drop them in the offering boxes on, on your way out today. Please do that. And then at the concert of prayer in two weeks, we're going to pray for all these names by name out loud in our concert of praying to God. Last, there is the missionary bookmarks to pray for the nations, and here's our missionaries and missions partners and instructions how to pray, and these are great instructions. These are for you. They're in your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, grab one, and keep those on your meal table or bed table, and pray. Second, real quick, corporate prayer. Here's what our church does with corporate prayer. There's regular prayer meetings. See the schedule in the bulletin. Small group prayer. I encourage all the small groups to, to pray together. All church concert of prayer, that's in two weeks, plus Thanksgiving communion tonight. And the church e-prayer list, you can fill out your communication card and, and anyone can be added on the church e-prayer list. You get the emails every week. And write your prayer requests on those communication cards and you will be prayed for. This is what we do. We're a praying people. God's house should be called a house of prayer. I'm going to ask Tristan to come up and the worship team. And we're going to put this into practice right now. If you have sermon notes, you see this list of prayer requests. I'm going to throw them up on the screen as well. We're going to put this into practice just for a few minutes. I'd like to ask you to pray either alone 
or in a group with the people you're sitting next to as some music plays. And I want this to be real, to pray. These are some pressing needs, men's ministry leader, women's ministry leader. We have great things going on, meals ministry leader. Uh, Those are some key needs that we have right now. Would you pray that God will answer those in his time? We need a regular office volunteer or, or a team. We're finishing our new vision and values that we're going to launch in January. Pray for that. Oh, pray for that. The enemy's deceptions would stay far away. Pray for start strong small groups, discipleship, outreach, and the needs of the church and community. I'm going to come down and pray with my family. I love you all. Thanks for being a praying church.